Hey there, welcome to ATL in 29, a podcast where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Chenard. I'm here with Glenn Willis, recording on a Thursday night in advance of the first game of Hawks Celtics on Saturday. Between the two highest scoring teams in the Eastern Conference. And I guess my first question to you, Glenn, is is it Hawks in four or Hawks in five? Uh yeah. Yeah. That's 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 a fun way to go. <laughs> but you know, I listen to like podcasts today. I listened to or I read some art, art like nobody is giving the Hawks like any chance in the world, you know. And it's understandable why the consensus is that the Celtics are a, a big favorite here. But I, you know, I think the Hawks are being decently underrated uh, by the uh, kind of the broader uh, set of voices that are out there starting to opine around the series. Yeah, that seems fair. Uh, they they certainly seem to have uh, better health than they had last postseason. Maybe better health than the Celtics are experiencing right now. There's a lot of you know nuanced little things that are going right for them. But let me start with this question for, for the Celtics. Who do you expect to be in the rotation and who do you expect not to be in the rotation? Yeah, I think they start with a pretty robust rotation, you know, depending on health. So you got the normal, you know, Jalen and Jason, Derek White, you know, Al, um, you know, those are so for there, Brogdon's uh, in there. Marcus Smart is obviously in there. Then from there, you you know, kind of how much further, which direction do you go? Kind of you know, positionally, you know, right? Uh, from there, um, you know, Horford and, and Williams. Uh, I think you know, Williams' knee isn't bothering him. I think most of the second half of the season, yeah. uh, Grant Williams is there. That that's the that's that's the list that I absolutely expect to see like in the rotation the whole right. way. So that's you know? eight. You're you're inc- right. you included the two Williams there at the end. So. Grant Williams, Robert Williams, that that gets it to eight. Is there a ninth person? Is it? I think Sam Hauser. Okay. Yeah, I think his shooting fits. Like shooting, his shooting and ability to ball fits. They can just drop him right into everything they do on offense in a way that none of the other guys that are kind of uh, you know on the bench there can do. And so that's that that's nine for me. Um, you know, if they if they need. You know, a little bit more shooting. Uh, the, maybe Muscala becomes kind of a maybe a tenth. You know, uh, there I think he's a t- really tough fit defensively for what they want to do. But if they just want to keep, the, if they got the five out stuff really, really rolling, and they want to keep it rolling, I think he's a guy that he turn to for like a short stretch or two more than Blake. Um, so that that's me. What, what do you see there that I don't see? No, that's <laughs> that's that's uh, spot on with what I was expecting. That that's. I don't think I would have said anything differently than what you said there. Uh, but but sort of keeping along those lines then, I mean, I'm sort of expecting then that the Hawk, or I'm sorry, the Celtics are going to be starting with a, a five-out look, you know, starting Horford at center, uh, you know, essentially with, with four perimeter players. And that puts Capella maybe in a little bit of a weird spot is, you know, so how do the Hawks sort of make that work in, in the sense of uh, what's the best way to word this? Like, do you, do you try to match Capella's minutes with the minutes where Rob will is going to be on the floor? Uh, You know, 
do you have to have Capella be the one guarding Horford or could you try John Collins there and, and, and try Capella on somebody where maybe he could zone up a little bit and stay closer to the rim? Like how, how is this going to work? Uh, you know, we, when you've got Capella, but you've also got a five out offense that they're facing. Yeah, I think it's a great question to explore as a natural question to kind of probe for a few minutes. But I, I do think, based upon kind of some of the conversation I'm hearing, that people are kind of writing off Clint's ability to be on the floor for important stretches in this series. Um, the the five out stuff can get him like right up in the middle of the floor. Like they'll they'll use Al to screen right at the top of the key or to run their what they call their delay set where he's facilitating at the top of the key you know right mm-hmm. top of the key to pull click way up and that opens up a lot of what they want to do like the trade you know for example and stuff like that um but it, for me a lot of clint's playability against their stronger five out offenses come down to whether quint quinn wants that group to switch or to not switch right and if you're switching uh clint has some value in organizing and communicating he he's their best at the position at kind of keeping them organized he's very good at getting back and uh you know defending rim runners which marcus smart loves to rim run he's the he's the guy who rim runs most on on this team um uh, and and you, even though you know he's not a big guy he kind of plays like one when he's rim running um and such it, where if you're just chasing over uh Brains, which it's going to be interesting to see how Quinn plays that with, say, the starting group. Um, and then maybe you have a little bit of, of leeway to um, have him come up near the level of the screen but not get all the way there. You know, So to me, a lot of it comes down to defensive scheme against that five-out lineup, those five-out lineups the Celtics run that will dictate to a decent degree to what extent Clint can play in those minutes versus not. So I think that, I think I think it's mostly answered via scheme and not just can Clint be on or off and that's the binary question. Is there a way to keep him out of the actions so that he can be more of a help defender or do you want him in the actions? Um yeah, so when Horford is facilitating, you've you've got to impact him with some kind of ball pressure. And so what that means is that when he's up in that situation, so we're not talking about a ball screen, we're talking about Al initiating with the ball at the top of the key, for example. Right. Then everybody else has got to be really solid on cuts, on off-ball screens. Um, the Celtics love to run that run a play where, um, say, a Jalen, for example, gets a, a simple pin down the corner and they trap Trey in the middle, you know, with Jalen, say, curling towards the paint off of that, you know. And so, like, if Jalen – sorry, if Trey and DeJounte are handling that pin down – for example, or Hunter and Trey, whoever, Hunter and Trey have to sort that out and keep Trey out of trouble. And so some of that responsibility transfers to everyone else if Clint has to be up against the delay action and pressuring the ball on Al. If it's more of Al working as the ball screener or more often, in their case, setting a screen like 10 feet from the ball, they set a lot of off-ball screens that are close to the ball so that they can use the screener to then become a shooter. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that's to me that action is the hardest for Clint to defend, is when the screener becomes the shooter, um, because it is just that's just something that he's going to have a harder time changing direction. Uh, you know, the foot technique you have to play against that is just not something that he's usually asked to do. You know, and so that delay action, I think he can, I think he can make that work for everyone else is doing their job. Or Al becomes the screener than the shooter. I think that's, I think that's a harder action for Clint to, to deal with. 
What is Trey going to see on defense from from the Celtics? Who's going to guard him? What what can he expect going into this? Yeah, so I mean, I think it's going to be pretty equal parts, uh, Marcus Smart and Derek White. I, I, I think I think White's been the their best on ball defender this year. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one of the best in the league uh, at that. Um, I think he's really. Ele- I mean, I think it's it's amazing to think about how that wasn't like some uh, trade that like grabbed the headlines when it happened, but it really elevated the Celtics a lot. And White has continued to do that this year. So I think, I think White gets like the critical stretches, like of close to game on Trey. I think uh, Smart will get other minutes and Smart. I think what Smart does is really different. Like he's going to try to get physical with Trey. He, you know, last time these teams played a real game, Marcus Smart got thrown out. You know, <laughs> uh, and I don't think he had any uh, like regret about it at all, you know. Um, and so I think Trey's got to deal with the physicality of Marcus and some of the, uh, so I don't know if we want to call it gamesmanship, you know, to be polite about it. Um, uh, but where White just is just a fundamental defender. So I think, I think those are the two. Um, but additionally, the, the Celtics basically switch all the time, you know. They basically switch, you know, in all cases. Um, the, maybe one example is when they have Al and Robert Williams on the floor. They maybe not get into full five, you know, five positioning in that case. Um, or they'll just throw one or both of those guys, depending on who's on in the weak side corner, to keep them out of ball screens. Um, and so is the, I don't think it's going to be that hard to get someone else onto Trey because of the switching that the Celtics rely on. But he draws Jalen Brown. You know, Jalen Brown is probably the one guy of that of their group of guards and wings that you can most attack with the dribble. Um, he's a little, to me, a little overrated as an on-ball defender. I think Brogdon is the second guy you can can kind of get by. Um, but they, but as a team, they make you work. Like their 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 shading help, their digs, you know, all that sort of stuff is always like one hundred percent on point. So I'm not saying like, oh, but Trey has Jalen, he can get past him. But I think I think it will be it'll be interesting to see if the Celtics you know go a different direction and switch you know less than it did across the whole season. But I think it'll be smart and white primarily, and the Hawks can get to switches. But the Celtics are the best switching defense in the league, so it's not like oh you get a switch you're good to go. No, <laughs> it's uh that's they're they're quite good at switching. I think this has a fair amount of overlap to what you were just saying, but is there? Is there a value or is there a way to work Jalen Brown defensively and keeping him in defensive actions, you know, keeping putting him in those switches and such so that that makes offense more difficult for him, sort of taking the continuum of the continuum of the game into account? Maybe. Um, you know, he's Jalen buys into what they do is team defensively and they they like workload share on defense really really well so i i think it might be hard to impact his offense in the way that you might otherwise normally be able to do that just because of how effectively they work load share on defense um you know but i i still think you want to pick your spots and attack like if if uh dejounte catches Jalen on him you know again i i put this thought on twitter earlier today and you know un, like unsurprisingly if few Celtics fans kind of jumped in. They're like, I'm not saying Jalen Brown's a bad defender. I'm saying 
Celtics are the number two defense in the league. Right. <laughs> they're the best the defense defense. in the league. That's fair. So they're making they're making tough choices, you know. And, yes. and to me, it's Brogdon and Jalen. So, I, but I, I don't know because of how connected the Celtics are on defense. And you know, no surprise, a team that has Al Horford on it, they stay on a string like all you know pretty consistently. Um, so I, I don't know that you do that thinking you're going to have some impact on his offense. But Jalen's offense and his shooting kind of kind of comes and goes. Um, he's become so good driving and being aggressive tacking the rim. His as a jump shooter, he's still, you know, for me, kind of ordinary, you know. Um, you don't want to leave him wide open, but yeah, I, I, they, they're such a hard team to kind of, because of how they play on offense, moving the ball, work hard, setting screens, um, moving without the ball. And then on defense, the way they stay connected, it's hard. I think they might be the one team in the league where it's hardest to kind of pick a weak link and try to generate something by attacking that weak link because they, they, they're, they're just they just play with such fundamental kind of team sound principles all the time. Uh, now maybe Quinn has an idea there. Maybe the coaching staff has an idea that I don't have. But to me, I, that's one of the hardest parts of playing the Celtics is that you've got to just play five on five. If you, as you were mentioning, it's it's difficult to sort of pick the defender that you want to pick on when they're switching. You know, it's assuming that you can just kind of get the switch that you want, but they're they're good at defending that. Uh, you know, if you go about another way of attacking it, and you put a big in the action with somebody like Trey, can you can you slip those screens? To, to make, you know, sort of keep the switching off balance? And if so, like, who, who which which of the Hawks' bigs would be best suited to kind of be in those actions with Trey if if you want somebody slipping? Yeah, I mean, Clint, Clint's great at slipping in the middle. Uh, is a little, I think, a little more solid slipping from the side, which is a tighter angle and requires better hands, I think. Now, Clint can get baseline on it empty corner side pick and roll he's good he's golden there but if they force trey on the baseline side then clint rolling towards the basket i, I just think it's a tougher angle to deliver the ball to him so i want if i have a choice i think i want to climb on the side the hard part about what you're setting up there with the question is the celtics do an amazing job just keeping their bigs out of the pick and roll so it's funny when i went back and watched some of the um you know some of the the play from Hawks versus Celtics this year, the two games that mattered. And I did not remember that, uh, you know, we all remember last season, the Celtics basically putting Robert Williams in the weak side corner, making him that helper. So I think of us right. now as kind of the Jaron, Jaron Jackson Jr. kind of specialty. JC's, you know, done a lot of that too, right? Uh, not in a similar setup um, and such, but they, they did that with Al a lot this year. And where they put right. him in the weak side corner and keep him out of the ball screens. And if you bring the guy that say that, so let's say Hunter starts in the weak side corner and they want to bring him up to put say Robert Williams or Al in that the Celtics will just pre-switch that. And whoever lands in the corner, the big will take that guy and say Jalen or you know Jason will come up and follow him. So the Celtics basically just won't give you that. Um, and that's where I think um, being slipping, and being really physical 
on the strong side of the floor and the the speed that that Akago has, especially in tight space, um, to get there before Al or Robert Williams can kind of get over there, and then the the passing skills of Akongu as well. I think I think are going to be pretty important and pretty important part of how they attack that. But like, I mean, great question around that. But the Celtics just won't let you do that to their bigs. They just won't. <laughs> uh I think in that answer, or maybe the one before it, you mentioned emptying out the corner, and and I know you've tweeted about that as well. So, you know, yeah. explain, uh, you know, for our listeners, you know, what that means, what advantages you get out of that. Yeah. So, so, so for me, the empty corner side pick and roll is probably the hardest action to switch. Um, the, it, the reason being that number one, if the big gets baseline. You you've got to allocate at least one person just just keeping that big off the rim, and now you're one on one with the ball coming from you know uh, somewhere in the vicinity of you know two to three steps below the three point break, right? If you push the ball handler, say Trey, into the corner, almost every team in the league ices that, right? Where the big uh, anchors himself square to the baseline, right, mm-hmm. and then the the guard kind of squares down to the sideline boundary and, and to kind of trap the ball there and pressure it. And so it's, it's it's funny because in the NBA, the one kind of muscle memory thing that almost every team has is side pick and roll, we ice it, um, and which takes them away from their switch. Um, now, they'll still try to switch that at times if, if the ball screen, the ball screener and the ball handler are – if they're able to impact that and slow that action down, they'll still switch that. But if you can kind of get in and out of that ball screen quickly, you break that switching uh, technique that they want to use to a degree, and then you've got something to work with there. So it's, that's going to be fascinating to see, um, you know, how they try to get to that. DeJounte's had some success with that uh, this year. Uh, Trey is is excellent going even when he's forced away from the – when he's forced into the middle-ish. Um he, that's not his favorite floater angle. Um, but if you get a cutter from like, a, say, JC's on the left three-point break and he kind of cuts at the right time that the defense is collapsing towards Trey, you can get some nice stuff going on on the weak side there. So, it's, you know, to me, that's going to be huge. It, you know, I had a conversation earlier with, uh, with Brad and we oh. talked about the fact that the effect of switching, it kind of just takes you out of your pick and roll. I mean, it's really hard to generate stuff in your in in your pick and roll versus a team that switches so effectively, like Boston, and especially since they they won't give you their bigs, you know, into mm-hmm. that into that action. So the Hawks are really going to have to do things that have a I don't know an an action offensive action distribution or profile that's pretty different, pretty atypical for what they try to do, and and it's going to be interesting to see what Quinn and the coaching staff kind of put together. So then be able to attack that. Maybe, maybe maybe it's like a whole lot of side. Maybe it's a lot of early shot clock in, you know, before the defense can get set. Uh, maybe it's pushing in transition with guys like Trey and Jalen and uh, you know other guys. Um, you know Boston doesn't love to play a, a fast pace. I think they were twentieth in pace or so, and the Hawks have been going faster and faster under Quinn. So maybe that's a part of it. But it's man. It, it feels like Kevin. You know, tell me what you what you're expecting with game one. It feels like it's going. It could be 
a feeling out process for the Hawks on offense in game one, just to kind of see what they can find that has activity to it. And maybe it's game two where they come out with a, a more kind of really, really firmed up plan, you know, um, uh, it just kind of feels that way to me, but I don't. I don't want to put a pass point in his staff to come up with a you know something that I'm not thinking of in game one. But I mean, do, do you expect to see like a, a more of a feeling out process or more of here's our plan? We're going to go attack with the I mean, it really has been coded, right? I mean, that you know, you look at all the different factors here. They only played three times instead of four. They played on the two. final game of the regular season with none of the regulars. Robert Williams didn't play against the Hawks this season. Bogdan Bogdanovich didn't play against the Celtics this season. So it, when you say there's a feeling out process to come, it, that, <laughs> you know, it, also okay, yeah. not being the coach, so that kind of nullifies one of the games too. It's like, yeah, it's it seems very reasonable that there's going to be some sort of feeling out process. And there are two days off between game one and game two to maybe get some of that sorted out that you – you can have a walkthrough or a, a practice, a light practice where you can kind of implement some of those changes once you see what they have done and figured out what you want to do to react to it. Uh, so, so that seems reasonable. And you, you, you have answered sort of a question that I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, when you mentioned pace, because you're going back to the playing game, you know, the Hawks got out to that fast start, got the 24 point lead and, they looked like the gas tank was about to hit empty in the third quarter. And it, it felt like the one thing that sustained them was that they could get some scraps and leftovers on offense. If they could just force a miss and do something in transition, because if, if they had to go against Miami set defense in that third quarter, it was getting pretty brutal. Uh, and so you, you, you know, you noted that the Hawks have, a preferred uh, pace that they're, they're more likely to be the team that wants to play faster here. But how do you expect that sort of rebounding plays a role into that in in sort of the teams uh, figuring out what pace serves them best and whether they can get to that pace? Yeah. And the rebounding is like one of the most fascinating, I think parts of this matchup. So statistically the Celtics are the best team in the league on the defensive glass. Offensively, the Celtics basically don't chase offensive rebounds at all. Um, and so they they rebound with five on defense. They rebound with one if Robert Williams is in the game. And they'll be opt- like they'll be opportunistic on long rebounds, but they're not gonna go mm-hmm. chase rebounds with bodies, right? Right. They're gonna get back in, in transition. Um and and so that's fascinating to me. Uh, because the Hawks are one of the best that you know, both uh you know, all of a Congo. Capella, JC, and more and more and more, Jalen. Uh, and even Bay has been good on the offensive yeah, class. Yeah. <laughs> you know? When you said more and more, I was expecting the word Bay, but you're right, Jalen. <laughs> yeah, so, and so it, it's interesting. So the Hawks, you know, on paper, you look like, well, there's probably not much opportunity there, but the Hawks have to generate offense on the offensive glass. Um, they just have to, in my mind. Um, um, but the Celtics make it hard. Um now, one thing that might work out for this matchup, because the Hawks are so talented in the offensive class, is with the Celtics switching, maybe you get some favorable, you know, kind of rebounding matchups where it's like, 
say Derek White on Clint, you know, or Sam Hauser on Onyeka or what or whatever. And when those happen, um, they have to make the most of, of, of those things, you know, because for me, like the big, big theme, you know, and I mean we could we could talk in detail, I'm happy to do it about the Hawks have to switch crisply. The Hawks have to get over screens to stay connected to their man when they're not switching. The Hawks have to rotate with urgency the whole game, every game of the series. They have to communicate switches. Um, you know, so they have to, they, I mean, their defensive execution has to be, you know, 150 what it was on average across the regular season for them to be viable here. Right. But if you kind of look at, how the Hawks can counter what the Boston does at the three-point line, you know, I think I think Boston is average is like about thirteen plus thirteen to fourteen at the three-point line on the season, maybe even a little bit more than that. And they give back I think two point seven in the paint, so they're minus two point seven in the paint. But when these teams play each other in the regular season, the Celtics were about plus fifteen in the three-point line per game. The Hawks were like plus almost seventeen. In the paint. So for me, like to start with kind of a baseline formula <laughs> formula that works for the Hawks is can the Hawks, I, mean, I think we have to accept the Hawks are generally going to have a negative point differential to three point nine this, this series, but can they neutralize that with points in the paint? That comes with attacking with side pick and roll when you have the opportunity. So that comes with putbacks, that comes with transition, that comes with Jalen like pushing the ball. One of my favorite parts of the Miami game was that when Jalen made mistakes, he didn't, he was given a chance to turn around and make a great play the next possession or the next possession. Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to have to be kind of the approach in this series as well as to play those athletic guys. Because if the Hawks can counter, you know, what we expect the Celtics advantage of the three-point line with their own advantage in the paint, then it comes down to free throws. And Celtics are like bottom five in free throw rate. It comes down to uh, transition points. The Celtics are great in transition, uh, but they don't they don't chase turnovers to feed that. They they um, just kind of uh, run to spots and they they space the floor even in transition like perfectly. Right? They're amazing at that. And so, but if you can neutralize the three point kind of math, the points in the paint math, maybe the Hawks can get more in the free throw line. Then it comes down to loose balls. It comes down to transition. Who can kind of get back and match up on those sorts of things. And but the Hawks have to be, I don't know, plus 20 in the paint, <laughs> you know, really to kind of give themselves a chance to to win the game. And that that means playing JC, even though like if you listen to Zach Lowe and Coach Thorpe, who do a great job, you know, previewing series. I listened to that today. And they were like basically saying John Collins can't play in this <laughs> in the series. I'm like they have to play John Collins in the series. They absolutely right. have to, right? Um, and, and for me, and, and Jalen does a lot of that too. And if you can get Bay at the three and or JC, the, I mean, you got three like impactful rebounders there. Um, and, that, and that's where I think, Clint, I think Quinn has to lean into that. Yeah. Uh, is, is there anything that I've missed here? Anything that you wanted to talk about that we didn't discuss? Uh, the, so I'm curious about your thoughts, defensive lineups. Like, so in the heat, in the heat game, I keep saying series, the game, like we talked a lot about Bogey and Bay together, breaking with the heat line defensively, and Quinn played them a absolute ton in the first half. 
close with JC, you know, in the second half. I think just kind of went with uh, guys that he trusted not put the other team in the bonus, you know, and things like that. Because of how much the Celtics make you chase over screens, um, because of how effectively the Celtics move the ball and force you to rotate across a lot of space to, you know, rotate, 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 close out, et cetera, X out, you know, I think it's hard to play bogey and bait together. And, and so I think it's going to be like bogey or bay plus Hunter, maybe spending some time that we might think of it at the two, you know, when DJ or Trey is off. But what, what is your thought thinking around what the Hawks can deploy from a kind of a lineup construction standpoint that can deal with all the spacing the Celtics achieve? All of the screens on ball and off ball that they make you deal with, because Bay's pretty bad at that. Bogey's pretty bad at that. Um, you know, and and so it's, but their shooting has been absolutely critical to their best offensive stretches in the last, say, three weeks of the season. You know, so what's your thought process on kind of what they can do with from a defensive lineup standpoint to deal with what the Celtics and Fours opposing defenses deal with? <laughs> Yeah, that was that was actually the one question that I had that I didn't ask you uh, pretty much in, in, in one form or another. I I mean, you'll probably do some, some staggering there to make that work. Uh, while I don't believe that John needs to just go away and hide and not be a critical piece of the rotation, like they may want to close with one of Bogey or Bay. And so if, if – you're trying to line up minutes so that one of them is available to close with four other starters at the end of the game. That's one way in which you can kind of automatically split them up because you're saving one and playing one with the bench unit. So I think that's going to come into it. I, I think, you know, end of halves, one will still be on to close. You know, you, you'll save some of their minutes from the typical bench lineups and, and then put them in at the end of the half. Um, so I, I think that's one way in which you'll do it. Like, who do you feel comfortable with with Bay guarding? And and it's always it's you know offense and defense. There's so much uh, motion and movement, and there's going to be tons of switches. So you know obviously they're not going to be on one person, but the the Celtics at the same time have two great isolation scores that they can use. So like if if that comes into play, you know who do you want Bay out there guarding? Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Oh, there is a great answer to that question. I mean, like, if I could, like, be um, kind of uh, tricky and say, well, Sam Hauser, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. he might play seven to seven minutes, right. you know, you know, so for me, like, when I think about, when I try to think about what Quinn is thinking through or what I, what I imagine he's thinking through is that he might just say, I'm going to put Bogey and Bay out there and we're just going to switch everything when they're on, you know, that way they're mm-hmm. not getting so spread out. Um and, and it might only be against... And so that um, would be to line up with the Kongwu too? Could be, yeah. yeah. A, a con- so it could be Bay, Bogey, a Kongwu, say DeJounte, and whoever else, whoever that other player is. You know, mm-hmm. say um, Hunter, you know, or, mm-hmm. you know, I think it would be interesting to see see how that works out. Would you want um, to be Jalen there? Do you think he's more comfortable with switching than, say, getting over picks? <laughs> I, I, you know, Jalen is at his best as a helper. Okay. You know, um, but I mean, but I think he's, I think this is going to be one of those things where Quinn's going to say, 
we're going to put Jalen out there, challenge him to switch, challenge him to communicate, stay connected, all that sort of stuff, and just trust that he's going to get a little better every quarter, you know, or every game, however you want to think about that. Because I, I, I mean, to be, to be honest with you, I don't, I don't want the Hawks to chase this series to the extent that they don't give these young players an opportunity to experience this. You know, right. the demand that comes with a series that has this much pressure, right? And it's stuff. So, you know, it's just, it's not worth it to me. So I want to see Kongu play a ton. I want to see uh, Jalen play a ton. I, I, I even hope to see some of AJ. This is a better matchup for him than Miami. Uh, and he's he's out of the rotation when this series starts. Um, but if Quinn needs more shooting for whatever, which I, I, I'm not going to be seeing him out there. But like when it comes to putting Bay and Bogey on, it's like, and does Quinn think I'm going to do that when Tatum's off? You know, because Brown is is a good isolation scorer. He's powerful. He's athletic, but he's not a great ball handler. You know, he'll turn the ball over if you pressure him, mm-hmm. uh, and he is a, like really aggressive when Tatum is off. You know. Um, and so there, it, it, you know, Quinn might just have to pick his spots when he can get those two guys on. The other p- p- piece for me is that if the Hawks can really attack the rim and force uh, the Celtics to play two bigs for longer stretches, for right. some stretches, then then that gives them less shooting to chase, right? So yeah. if it's Horford, Horford's a good shooter, um, but if it's Horford and Robert Williams, you know, that that's easier to deal with than Horford at the five and four you know four shooters in addition to Horford yeah um and Grant, and Grant Williams is a, a really good shooter um but you know if, if you can get to him and chase him off the line he's not going to do a ton with the, I mean he, he's still like a surprisingly good driver yep but that's that's something you live with and sure. with, with what you're dealing with the Celtics and so I think I think if Quinn can kind of force the Celtics to react to the Hawks dominating the offensive class if they can do it dominating uh, paint points if they can do it. I think that Quinn has a chance to drive the Celtics towards lineups with some less shooting, and that plays into Quinn being able to play lineups that might fit better for what they want to do offensively. So, And there's so many layers to this, but I, th- these are all the things I'm thinking through that I imagine Quinn is you know, working through with the staff, if that makes sense. Yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to do this. Uh... I think it'll be easier to podcast after one game. Just, yep. <laughs> I feel like we have no idea what to reasonably expect here. So, it's, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to having a, a history to go on. Yeah, for sure. The Hawks entering healthy. You teed that up at the very beginning of our conversation here. That was a smart thing to feature right out right out of the gate, and with some rest. And and that's it's such a different scenario than where they were with the Heat last year. And I think it matters. And so from that vantage point, I'm I'm just I kind of I'm going into game one. It sounds like maybe you are too, kind of with no expectations. Just, just gonna watch and see what each team is trying to do, see what each team is is how each team is trying to kind of get the advantage, be assertive, you know, in whatever area and things like that. And then and then I think sounds like you, uh, I think I'll have like more specific expectations going into game two. So I think we're right in the on the same wavelength there. All right. I appreciate you taking the prediction. You got a prediction? A prediction? Yeah. For the whole series? For the whole series. And what I mean is like the likeliest outcome. Not like, oh, we're going to roast you, Kevin, if you're wrong. But the likeliest outcome. Likeliest outcome. I will say Celtics and Seb. Oh, I like it. I'm like six and a half. Nothing easy. 
Yeah. So I think Celtics and six is the likeliest outcome. But okay. I think I, it will not surprise me at all if, uh, if 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 the Hawks can stay on plan through the moments of adversity. If the Hawks can get it to seven, I think it would be so much fun, and uh, I think it's going to be a fun series. I think it's I think you know I mean we could end up like the Celtics to take this in five. If the Hawks you know can't do the things that they need to do well, um, but I, I I think it would be fun for the NBA to kind of you know, get a game six and maybe a game seven, like, oh, Jalen Johnson's this, you know, to, to get some eyeballs on this team and, and challenging them. I think I, I wouldn't have fun watching the series, series anyway, but I'm I'm rooting for this to go as deep as it can go. Because I think it'd be, I'd just be fun for some, you know, casual fans to get an idea of, of some of the young talents on this team that I think very few people are really know about. So I like seven. My honest answer is six, but, uh, you know, I'd love a seven game series. Yep. All right. We will see. Thanks, Kevin. Have a good night. Can you?